Welcome back to the founder-led marketing show. If you're watching this on the video version, you can see some laundry behind me. That's what happens when you have a little baby at home. Anyway, let's get into the topics. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about founder-led marketing versus dimension, the differences and the similarities, Facebook ads versus LinkedIn ads, why we decided to reallocate all of our budget from Facebook to LinkedIn for our ads, how founder-led marketing helps your salespeople, how Nathan Latka is leveraging founder-led marketing. He's one of my favorite people as an example of people who leverage FLM, how to shorten your marketing cycles, three reasons why video outweighs other content formats, uh, CNBC interview, why it's your founder doing the CNBC interview and not your head of marketing. And then six popular B2B marketing strategies that just don't work anymore in a 2023 world. That's it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any messages, thoughts, feedback for me, feel free to hit me up in LinkedIn. And now enjoy the show. Chapter number one, founder-led marketing versus demand gen. Founder-led marketing and demand gen are two separate things. Demand gen is one motion that you can run through your founder-led marketing, right? Founder-led marketing's marketing run through the expertise and knowledge of your founder. And then demand gen is one particular intentional goal through your marketing. I mean, Chris Walker would describe it as creating demand and capturing demand. Those are two different motions that you can both run through founder-led marketing. And I think especially if you're building a new software product and you bring in it to market and you wanna build out your category, demand gen, should be makes the most sense to be run through the founder because you build that product. Like if you're building a new solution that doesn't exist yet on the market, that doesn't really have anything to directly compare it to, you don't have many competitors, it doesn't really exist in people's mind as this thing that people can do, then you need to build out that category as the founder by explaining what it is and why it's different from what everything else that currently exists and what the benefits are and how it works um, and how people can apply it and how it solves their problems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's demand gen. You're increasing the pie of people who could potentially buy your product or solution. And if you have a new solution that doesn't exist yet on the market, initially that pie is zero, right? Because people are just not aware that something like what you build exists in the first place. And so you need to create that awareness in the market by creating demand. And that should be the founder. And then a different motion is capturing demand where you try to capture people to then actually come to a website, book a demo that the people who say, yeah, a CRM is a good idea. Yeah, SEO is a good idea. Yeah, founder-led marketing is a good idea that then they come to you instead to an alternative. That's a different thing. You can run that through the founder too. I think that's actually a motion that is less reliant on the founder but so I think demand gen and founder-led marketing are not the same thing. They're very kind of separate. Demand gen is one motion you can run through founder-led marketing. Chapter number two, Facebook ads versus LinkedIn ads. I paused running our Facebook ads because I think I first started setting them up like six months ago or something like that. And I just put our best performing pieces of content into the campaign and it's... Mm, exclusively exclusively retargeting so it's just retargeting people who went to our website before with with a facebook pixel and we're spending very little amount of money on it like 150 bucks per month but then about two months ago i started experimenting with linkedin ads and 
the results there have been just insane. I'm, I'm going to make a separate video about it. And I think we're currently booking qualified demo calls for our, you know, 30K offer at like, last time I checked, it was a hundred bucks. Now it's probably closer to 200 bucks um, because we're scaling it a little bit, uh, which is still insane. So it, it just didn't make sense to have any budget, at least for me right now, into Facebook ads. So I just reallocated that budget into more LinkedIn ads. So um, that's why. I think LinkedIn ads targeting is just so much more accurate, especially if you're in B2B. Because with Facebook, it's interest-based targeting, right? So you need to say, I'm interested in, or I want to show my ads to people who are interested in gardening or in video games or in uh, Barack Obama or, you know, those types of things, which is based on page likes. And that works great if you're selling a B2C product and you kind of have an idea of like, okay, the people who are going to buy my product are the people who are into gardening. But if you're in B2B, it doesn't really help you at all. So we only had a retargeting ad. And the problem is retargeting, you're going to show it to anyone who went to your website. And there's plenty of people who go to your website who are never going to buy from you, right? Competitors, people who might be interested in working at your company, friends, family, especially if you're a small company like us. Like there's a lot of website traffic that's just, you know, people who don't fit your buying persona. And so you're going to spend a lot of money retargeting to these people. With LinkedIn, I can say exactly who I want our ads to see. I can say exactly founders and CEOs and heads of marketing at B2B software companies based in London, Berlin, Zurich, San Francisco, and New York, who have anything between 10 to 100 employees, which is our ideal perfect buying persona. And then... My videos are only being shown to these founder CEOs and heads of marketing, which is just incredible, right? You you spend a little bit more on the CPMs compared to uh, Facebook, but that's just so much more powerful if you're in B2B. So we started running this for customers. We're getting some initial good results. Um, we're going to make more videos about that, but that's, you know, that's why I, I decided, at least for now, to reallocate the Facebook ad budget into the LinkedIn ads that we're running. Chapter number three, how founder-led marketing helps your salespeople. The way that we think about founder-led marketing is that it comes after founder-led sales. Once you've built your product, the next stage is to try to actually sell it, see if people want it, if they're willing to pay real money for it. And the general consensus is that it should be the founder selling initially in the beginning. Why? Because no one understands what you build the product better than you do. and there is so much iteration and trial and error you need to go through that it just doesn't make sense to hire for it because you can't train them yet. You can't tell them, this is the messaging. These are the buying personas. This is how you sell it. This is what you do first, second, third. It's just not established at all. And so you as the founder actually need to go through all that experimentation and trial and error to try to see what messages resonate, which buyers are the right buyers for you, how to position your product, how to explain your product. And I mean, you as the founder have the best, the highest authority, right? People like talking to founders way more than to some salesperson. And so once that's done, in a sense, where you now have figured out how to sell it, what the messaging is, validated unit economics, you know your buying personas, you know kind of the step-by-step way to move someone through the buying process 
now you know you need to scale your time as a founder because you can only spend so many time so much time in those sales calls but the problem is oftentimes founders get stuck at this stage where they still need to get involved in every deal so then they hire sales reps whatever they build a sales team but then often especially for the bigger deals they need to get involved towards the end of the deal so the sales team took over some of their their tasks but not all of them and the reason is because you need to establish a lot of trust with your buyers when you're selling high ticket products and so there is this concept of the seven hour rule which is the idea it comes from psychology that it takes people seven hours to build a lot of enough trust to eventually be able to make a buying decision seven hours of with that decision meaning talking to salespeople researching the product, looking at competitors, thinking about the decision, all of that adds up. Traditionally, you do that through one-on-one -on -one time, right? So that's why the founder needs to get involved at the end of the deal and spend one-on-one -on -one time with that prospect to explain a couple more nuances, to build a little bit more trust, to show, you know, to show up and, 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 and explain that how it all works and why they're doing this and everything. And so one way to scale that is through marketing. And so that's the next stage of founder-led marketing where then you, the founder, instead of getting involved in every deal, you scale yourself by creating content around all of these insights and questions and doubts and suspicions and things that your prospects want to hear from you, the founder, like what are all the things that they usually ask you? And you can create content around that, answering those questions, and then distribute them in places where your prospects can consume that content, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a LinkedIn post, whether it's a video. And now, you know, instead of every time answering the same questions at the end of a deal with a new prospect, you just answer those questions once, you put it out into the world, and now your prospects can consume this content and establish this trust and credibility with you, spend more of those seven hours with you, the founder, without you having to be there one-on-one, -on -one, and it just scales your time and it makes it more efficient. And that way you can provide air cover for your sales team to make it easier for them to close the deal and to close it faster because your prospects have already spent time with you, the founder. It's just not one-on-one -on -one every time. Chapter number four, how Nathan Latka is leveraging founder-led marketing. One cool example for founder-led marketing is Nathan Latka, who's the founder and CEO of FounderPath, which is you know, a company that support, supports uh, SaaS founders with funding through loans. And he's been very active in the B2B SaaS space for a long time. He had a podcast or st he still has a podcast, I think. And he did a lot of interviews with SaaS founders. He built like a personal brand. He wrote a book, everything. Now he started the new company with FounderPass. It's not so new anymore, I guess. But if you look at their marketing, for example, they do like a monthly show that he hosts uh, where they have like hundreds of SaaS founders join to kind of learn the newest strategies and the newest kind of takeaways from SaaS companies that are doing things right. And he's hosting that show and he's kind of inviting people and talking and sharing insights and interviewing people. And he's also still running the podcast. He's doing these interviews. He's the, the host of the podcast. So it's him in the center, basically running the marketing. Obviously, he has a team on the back end that helps him distribute and organize the events and upload the podcast and do all the kind of nitty-gritty nitty stuff, but he is the person that is in the center of all of this marketing communication stuff because I think he has the authority, he has the expertise, he understands 
found a path, the company that he founded better than anyone else. He understands the product that they're selling better than anyone else. He understands the space of B2B SaaS better than anyone else. He's done hundreds of interviews with B2B SaaS founders. So he deeply understands their problems and pain points and what they're going through and what they feel like. So he can, he can leverage all of that knowledge and communicate it in a way that if they would have hired some marketing manager, some content writer to do this, it would just not have the same depth, the same gravitas, the same expertise, the, the same authority, the same level of thought leadership that he can bring to the table. So I think that's one good example of founder-led marketing. Chapter number five, how to shorten your marketing cycles. So we talked about marketing cycles before, which I think is you know one of those concepts that people don't really understand or talk about, everyone understands sales cycles and every company knows their sales cycle length, right? The moment from when a person raises their hand and says, I want to talk to sales to the moment that you close the deal, that's the sales cycle. Before that is the marketing cycle, which is people don't immediately raise their hand and say, I want to talk to sales, especially if you're selling complex, high-priced solutions. You know, there's a there's a research period where someone needs to first even find out that you exist get to know you, start to trust you, build, you know, understand your product and how it works, and then research the market, how you're different from competitors, how your pricing compares to other people. And they do that on their own before they raise their hand and say, I want to talk to sales, right? And so this research process that people go through, you can enable your prospects to go through that process faster. And how do you do that? By providing a lot of that information that they want to look into and want to find out about you before they ever talk to a salesperson by you providing it, right? Like if you share content around your product and how it works and the features of it and explain all of it and create content around how you're different from this competitor and that competitor, you have content around your pricing structure and how you set it up. You have lots of content around your expertise and your insights so they can validate that you're experts and authorities in your space so they can build trust in you. If you have all of that information out there and it's easily accessible, so it's searchable, maybe you have a YouTube channel where someone can just easily search for something. Maybe you have a website where all of that content is easily categorized. You have a product page where you answer all the product questions. You have a you know, pricing page where you have all the pricing information. You have a resources page where people can you know, read your insights and your knowledge and your expertise to validate that you know what you're talking about then you make it easy for someone to do that research. And that shortens the amount of period, the, the period, the marketing cycle, basically, from the moment that someone first ever hears about you and your company to the moment that they say, yeah, I'm interested, I want to talk to sales. If you don't do that, if you keep all that information secret or you gate it behind a you know, paywall or behind an email gate where someone needs to enter their information to get that information, then it's just going to take longer. They have to talk to their colleagues. They have to like scour the internet to find out like how much does this company charge? And people do that, you know, and people will find out even if you're selling high price B2B products and you don't have your pricing information on your website, people will find out how much you charge. Like it's not some like top secret information. They just talk with some peers. They, you know, go into Slack channels and they figure it out. It just takes them longer. And so if you want to condense that period, provide all of that information up front. How do you know what information to provide? It's the type of information that people are either asking you for already 
or that they're Googling about. So you can go to your Google search console and find out like what are people actually searching for? What questions do they have about your product? And then create strategic pieces of content that each address these questions and then make it easily accessible. And that's how you shorten your marketing cycles. Chapter number six to three reasons why video outweighs other content formats. I mean, we prefer video content for a couple of reasons. I mean, we focus on B2B. So B2B meaning we're selling complex, high-priced, explanatory solutions, right? Something that's not a t-shirt where someone can just read the specifications of what the fabric is used and where it was produced. And then it's 30 bucks impulse buy. They can just purchase it and check out on the website, put in their credit card information. Now we're talking complex buying journeys, multiple decision makers and stakeholders involved, long sales cycle. There's a lot of things that need to be communicated. There needs to be a lot of trust and credibility that needs to be built. What's unique and special about video is that people can see you, they can hear you, they can see your body language and they can hear your tonality. And that's how we establish trust with people. I mean, we can look at them and we can see their body language and we, we can hear their voice. And you cannot communicate the same level of trust or establish the same level of trust through a text post or through a little image with some text attached to it. Because people can't see you. They can't hear you. They can't see your body language. I think that's one. It's just psychologically, fundamentally, we can build more trust through video with our prospects. And then the second thing is it's much harder, especially now in this world of chat GPT and automations and tools writing text posts for you and everything. It's much harder to fake expertise on a video. Like a text post, like you can go to chat GPT right now and tell them like, write a post on cybersecurity, or you can go to like Wikipedia and copy paste a bunch of stuff. But recording a video that's like three minutes long, two minutes long, where you just free flow and talk into a camera, that's much harder to fake. I mean, obviously you can like prepare a script and then like learn it by heart, but people can tell the flow, you know, like, is it coming from you? Like, is this your expertise? You just talking free flowing because you talk about these things all day with customers and your team and prospects. Or is it like haphazard and you're like reading off a script and you're looking off the camera and you're, you know, not really talking freely because you haven't really talked. So like, it's much harder to fake expertise. And I think that's going to become um, more important, especially now with tools like ChatGPT. That's why we focus on video, but we don't exclusively do video because different platforms prefer different things. Right now on LinkedIn, like image posts perform pretty well. So we make sure that we also incorporate that into the strategy. Um, because we want to go along with kind of what works. But I think that's why videos are powerful. They're super repurposable. On LinkedIn, you can do video text image and maybe images perform better right now. But if you want to get more out of this, these assets that you're creating, TikTok only does video. YouTube only does video. Instagram, you can do images. You can't do pure text, but Instagram Reels is pure video, right? So if you want to repurpose to any of these platforms, you need a video. And then you can derive a text post from a video easily because you can just transcribe it and voila, you have a text post. It doesn't really work the other way. So um, that's why we like video. Chapter number seven, CNBC interview versus LinkedIn content. When we talk about founder-led marketing, it seems to me that sometimes founders feel like it's self-indulgent to be creating content, especially in a time maybe where you should be cutting costs and you should be capital efficient and you need to, you know, pay attention to your bottom line that 
it seems like why should I spend time creating content and videos for LinkedIn when I could be doing more important things? And I think one thing to think about is the analogy to a TV interview. If someone calls up your company right now and says, we would like to interview you about your product and what you guys are up to on CNBC, would you say, no, sorry, we're focused on more important things right now? No, you would, of course, love to be on CNBC and talk about your company and your product. And who would you send to that interview? Would you send your head of marketing or your head of content or your content writer or your SEO specialist? No, you would send your founder and CEO to do that interview because, well, they represent the company and they can speak best about what you guys do and what you guys stand for and what the product is and how it works. LinkedIn in a way, is the modern equivalent of that. It doesn't have the same level of prestige that you get if you go on CNBC. But what's the point of doing a CNBC interview? Is it to brag about it and say, I was on CNBC? No, it's the point is to get exposure. And so what's the point of posting on LinkedIn, making videos and talking about your company and what you're up to and your product? It's exposure. Is exposure beneficial to your business? Of course. That's the only way how you're ever going to get business is to be exposed to potential customers. And so it's this idea of like, yeah, of course we would do an interview, but posting on LinkedIn is self-indulgent, hasn't registered yet that it's the same intention. And that's actually you're much more in control because on CNBC, you get like, whatever, 30 seconds of a blurb. Maybe you get a two minute interview if you get really lucky. And then how many people still watch CNBC? Not a lot. I don't know. I don't know the number, but it's declining, right? How many people are on LinkedIn and could potentially consume your content? Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Probably if you're in B2B, most of your prospects are right now on LinkedIn. I think that's the analogy. And then the same thing, when you are creating content on LinkedIn for exposure, should you have your content writer or your head of marketing or your head of content be in that content? talking about your company and what you're up to and your product and how it works? Or should it be your founder and CEO? And we argue that's why we created founder-led marketing. We argue that we believe that it should be the founder and CEO. Because for the same reasons, they represent the company. They can speak most authoritatively about your company, your product, your market, your customers. They have the best stories. They have gravitas. People want to hear from founders and CEOs. They don't want to hear from content writers. That's the analogy, I guess I would say, for people who feel like it's just self-indulgent to, to create content on LinkedIn. Chapter number eight to six popular B2B marketing strategies that don't work. Well, we've worked with a bunch of companies and across sizes, I would say kind of the smallest company we work with is 10 people and the biggest one I think we've worked with is 600 people. And obviously, besides the people that we work with, I've seen a lot more because, you know, I have conversations with founders and marketing leaders, heads of marketing, VPs of marketing. And the amount of things that B2B companies do for the marketing that just was crazy to me was so high, but, but I never said anything because they're the bigger company. They're, you know, older and more senior than me. They you know, have more experience than me. So what do I know? And clearly it must be working. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing these things, right? Like these companies wouldn't be doing these things if it's not working. But now that we are in a different market environment, the amount of campaigns and programs of that sort that are now being cut or frozen or put on pause is crazy. 
And so it's kind of validating because it means like, yes, these things are actually not working and they know it. That's why they're pausing them and cutting these programs because marketing is supposed to buy revenue. It would be crazy to cut marketing, actual marketing, good marketing when you're dealing with a downturn. I mean, it would be, if I think about it, it would be crazy for me to stop doing these LinkedIn posts right now because that's how we get customers. You know, why would I stop doing this right now? This would be the worst time for me to stop doing this. How do I know that we're getting customers through it? Because they tell me I'm on the sales call and I always ask, how did you find out about us? And they tell me, well, I saw your content. I've been following you for a while. Someone shared your video. Someone engaged on your video. And I saw it and made an interesting point. And so I went to your website. You know, we also have a form. I'm going to make a video at another time because we now have some really interesting self-attribution data where people just literally say LinkedIn and I saw your LinkedIn post. So I know it's working. I know that's how we get customers. So it would be crazy for me to stop doing this in a downturn. So the fact that companies are cutting these programs mean that they're not working and that they're just bad marketing. They're not doing what marketing is supposed to do, which is buy revenue. I wanted to list a couple of these strategies that I see that are now being cut because they're just underperforming. Number one, and I've seen this across a bunch of different B2B companies. Number one, downloading customer info from Zoom Info and then enrolling in them in, in some email sequence cold to reach out to them. And these email sequences are usually focused around CTAs, product pitches, you know, we're the cheapest, we're the best, we won the most awards, kind of just company feature pitches. There's zero trust building, zero thought leadership. Turns out that it doesn't work or that it works like one in a thousand people, right? Because they're cold and because you build zero trust. Number two, running ebook or checklist download Legion ads on LinkedIn, you know, where would you create some PDF or something that you people then need to enter their email to download it. Turns out that it just helps you collect a bunch of cheap, low quality emails that then your sales team just wastes time following up with because they have no buying intent because downloading an ebook is very different from actually being interested in buying or looking at a demo. Number three, running CTA ads that's sent directly to a demo signup page. You, usually these are either testimonial ads, which are just a, a picture with like a one quote from a customer that's super generic or like some product feature, product pitches that just, you know, are call to action, direct response type of deal where it sends people to demo or call booking page. And turns out that, again, very few people actually end up booking that call because you build zero trust and it's cold. Uh, number four, running a blog for SEO purposes that no one reads, where you know companies have a person dedicated within their company to produce you know weekly blog posts, and turns out that it's just not an efficient way to reach people anymore. Overspending way too much on Google AdWords, like the amount of budgets that are putting being put into Google AdWords. Like we work with a company, and I went went into their Salesforce. They're a two hundred people company, B two B. And they are spending the same amount on Google AdWords that they were spending in 2008. And when you actually track through the funnel, so you can just, you know, filter people by lead source, you see where they're coming from, and then you can filter when closed or closed one, filter where they come from. And you see that in 2008, a good chunk of the closed one were the leads that were generated through Google AdWords. In 2023, it turns out that zero... I think it was literally zero of the closed ones 
were generated by the leads that came through Google AdWords. And then one more that kind of by half years overspending way too much on brand videos that talk about your company and your values or like a fancy animated product video that now all kind of product company has that costs like five to 10 K to produce one video. And it takes three months to produce, to like plan and script and edit and approve. And there's these endless approval loops. And then you realize that no one cares about your company values and it's just a waste of time. So I thought about what actually works and what we see actually works. So what actually works is one, focusing on the channels where B2B buyers actually learn about new products and trends in 2023, which are LinkedIn and podcasts. Those are at least the public sources. They also go to communities. They also ask their peers, obviously. There's word of mouth still. But the public places where you can actually be present, LinkedIn and podcasts. Number two, focusing on trust-building, thought leadership, subject matter expertise, content. Not product pitches, not CTAs, but content that educates your buyers, adds value to them. Stuff that helps your prospects do their job better, right? Giving away free knowledge. Why? Because one, you demonstrate that you're an expert and authority in your space. That's what people come to buy from you. Unless they think that you're the authority or expert in that thing that you do, why would they want to work with you? And two, you build goodwill. I mean, if you were the person who added value to them and taught them things and changed the perspective and shared insights that they were able to implement in their own work, they will want to work with you. So focusing on that rather than pitches and CTAs. And then three, creating a lean and fast process to create content to distribute at scale. So instead of being able to publish one video per month, being able to publish five videos per week, the, the thing that matters most with content is the substance in it, not the kind of production value and, you know, what camera are you using and do you have B-roll and music in the background? And like, what matters is, are you, do you have deep insights that you can communicate that add value to your audience? And if you do then you should be sharing this at scale. And so you need a lean and fast content process to do this because if you have three-month approval loops for one video, it's not going to work. All right, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you have any questions, any topics that you would like us to discuss on here, just send me a message on LinkedIn. And then we also now started doing our live events, our live Q&As every two weeks where we break down the leading B2B companies and how they do their marketing. We will have some marketing leaders on there for interviews and where we from Project 33 just share our current lessons. So if you're interested in that, uh, feel free to join us live every two weeks at 4 p.m. Central Eastern Time. You can find the link to sign up for that live Q&A on our website under our uh, learning center page and there's a page for the live q a where you can register and then you also get can add it to your calendar i'd love to see you there it's still an experiment and uh, thank you so much for listening bye bye peace out